And so now it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce the one who inspires us each and every week. He is dressed up for spring already, wearing his light pants and light suit jacket there. So welcome, Reverend Patrick Cameron. It is spring, in my head anyway, because I can't do much more winter. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So good morning. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. It's okay, come on in. We're just getting started. We're just going to sing. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, that'd be great. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy. For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So I invite you to make my words your words Claiming The power, the strength, the presence, all that spirit is, is right here in this very room where I am, where you are. In fact, it is everywhere, all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. It lives, moves, and experiences life through each and every one of us. Today, I clear my mind and make room only for spirit and for spirit's divine idea of who I am, what I am, and what I am capable of doing. My attention, the clarity of that intention, is crystal clear this day. As I see with the mind of God, I hear with the heart of God, and I feel completely enlivened awakened to this idea that spirit is me living breathing beating my heart and it is from this jumping off point of this sacred awareness that I go forward in life knowing that everything that I do think and say and act upon has an effect on me and it has an effect on the whole world on the whole universe For I am an integral part of this cosmic consciousness. And everything I do has an impact. So let that impact be one of complete loving kindness. Because I know that whatever I put out there comes right back to me. 
So this day I experience the magnificence, the prosperity, the health and well-being that is intended for me by my divine source. I give thanks for everyone who has gone before me, who has assisted in clearing the path that I may be here today, awake and alive. For this I give thanks, and so it is. And so it is. Thank you, Reverend Connie. Beautiful. All right. Wow. It's already 10.30, so I have about 12 minutes to share with you. So I don't know what happened. I was in the back. Usually I have about 10 more minutes. So I will do my best. And you know what? I'm going to celebrate whatever I have to be with you. And I, because we want to honor your time. And I know sometimes we go over and I'm always so appreciative as I know people have lives. And, and so it's important to do that. And we try and keep things as concise and as compact as possible. And I've got about 45 minutes of things to share with you. So now I'm up here editing at the moment. We've been using, uh, today is the power of symbols, and there's a wonderful story that if I had time, I would read to you in the Mark Nepo book that I don't. It's on March 15th. It's called The Power of Symbols. So if you're looking for it, it's the same title as today, and it talks about the symbols in our lives and how, how important and how they can become rituals. And we talked a few weeks ago about, and we've been using parables, and uh, today I wanted to, I, I don't want to stop the the role we're on with parables because I've gotten a lot of good feedback. And what I figured out by now that if people don't like parables, they're not here today anyway because I've been doing them for three weeks. So it's, uh, it's self-filtering, shall we say. But <clears throat> I want to share with you that there's a, wonderful, there's a wonderful old Yiddish story called The Parable of the Parable. And why stories communicate, and I think it's worth sharing. Once upon a time, truth went out about the streets as naked as the day he was born. And as a result, no one would let him come into their homes. Whenever possible, and I'm sure this wasn't in Edmonton in the wintertime, by the way. Let me back up. As a result, no one would let him into their homes. Whenever people caught sight of him, they turned away and fled. And one day when truth was sadly wandering about, he came upon parable. Now parable was dressed in splendid clothes of beautiful color. And parable, seeing truth, said, Tell me, neighbor, what makes you look so sad? And Truth replied, replied bitterly, Ah, brother, things are bad, very bad. I'm old, very old, and no one wants to acknowledge me. No one wants anything to do with me. Hearing that, Parable said, People don't run away from you because you're old. I too am old, very old. But the older I get, the better people like me. I'll tell you a secret. Everyone likes things disguised and prettied up. Let me lend you some splendid clothes like mine, and you'll see that the very people who push you aside will invite you into their homes and be glad of your company. Truth took Parable's advice and put on borrowed clothes, and from that time on, Truth and Parable have gone hand in hand together, and everyone loves them. They make a happy pair. So the reason that, that the teacher Jesus spoke in Parable is because he wanted to convey the truth, but he wanted to do it in a language that people could connect with. And I think that's obvious. And I found this parable, this, the parable of the parable this week, and I thought, this is sweet. Uh, and as a matter of fact... Um, I want to just give you some information why we speak in story, why story is so important. Over two-thirds of the world's population receive most of their information orally. Two-thirds of the people on the planet. For over one-third of the world's population, more than two billion people, oral communication is the only source of information because they can't read. Ninety-five percent of women in the Islamic world can only be reached through oral communication. Ninety-five percent. That's why Greg Mortensen's work with three cups of tea and all the people to educate education is so important. 
75% of the Bible consists of stories. Adding poetry and Proverbs leaves probably less than 10% abstract intellectual content. Traditional Western forms of communication only reach the 10% intellectual elite in unreached people groups. Storytelling does the rest. And storytelling turns discouraged, marginalized, semi-literate believers into powerful evangelists and disciples with great impact, a sense of fulfillment, personal value, and new hope. And that's why the parables are so important, and I think that's why it's important that we've spent a bit of time. And there's a a lot of wonderful parables which we'll continue to weave into things as we go about the year. Because I think it's important to have an insight into what, in my opinion, was really attempting to be conveyed. But it's truth. And it's truth with pretty clothes on it, so we can, we can play with it a bit. We don't just push it away. And so that's, that's all I have to say today, so I'll see you guys later. <laughs> okay, I've got a little more time. So I wanted to share with you a couple of parables. They're very similar, and they're very short. They're from Matthew, Matthew 13, 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus always talked about the kingdom of heaven, and if, if you're here for the first time, the kingdom of heaven is a state of mind. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I, and for me, I always felt like, oh my gosh, I've got to sell everything I have in order to, to step into the kingdom. Isn't that what, kind of what that implies? How many here, put your hand up really high if you want to just sell everything to enter the kingdom. But see, that's what... Oh, thank you. There. We have one. <clears throat> and that's nice. I appreciate the willingness. In the Gospel of Thomas, again, the kingdom of heaven... Oh, I won't read you Thomas because it'll take us off into a whole other path. But he expands on this whole... Well, I'll read it to you later if we have time. Um, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a merchant seeking fine pearls, who having found one, one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's the same idea. We find something, we want that, and we want to move in that direction. What the heck are these guys talking about? Once again, Jesus, Jesus, what are you talking about? Saying words and the experience. It's, we're talking about the experience of heaven, and that's what the words are conveying. Talking in pictures takes us to places that the words can't go, and that's part of what I was uh, conveying with this idea of oral communication. So we see it in poetry. We see it in the visual arts. We see it in dance. We see it in Brian's song up here singing. You know, there's his, there's his expression of his challenge and his journey of, of attempting to bring some clarity and, and some purpose. I mean, I thought about it the last few days. What, why the heck did I ever get into ministry? And this teaching, this teaching is precious to me. This teaching has been the pathway for me to, to heal a lot of the things that were the gifts that my family of origin primarily bestowed upon me and it created the longing it created a deep sense of 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 wonder and frustration and and questioning and 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 so the teaching has been such a blessing in my life and in, in embodying it and incorporating it into my life and then i realized that what my heart and spirit really wanted to help do was make a difference and so because I believe that we have the opportunity to put a lot of the stories and the myths in context that, that allow, uh, support us in moving forward, it's a beautiful pathway, and it's a way... And so I guess at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is I thought I could make a difference. And what I realize now is that the only place I can make a difference is within me. 
I've watched many, many things I've done over the years, and especially as a, in a, the role as a, as a spiritual director, be misinterpreted uh, and, 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 and just have things that I wouldn't even imagine being expressed, being expressed. But what you realize, too, is that people don't share with us accurately what's happening for us. They share who they are. And it's just the nature of it. But it's heartbreaking to do things, to work and work and work, spend months and years moving a certain direction and then getting to a certain point. And then many of us, and I talked to Dr. Ken Gordon about this when he was here, because this year has been, this year everything has changed for me. Everything in ministry, and it's perfect and it's beautiful, but it has been the most difficult year ever. And he said what most people will do is they will want to take it apart, because that's what we do. We like to get somebody to a certain point, let's dismantle it. Not that we have a bigger idea, but we just our nature is to dismantle it. Because if someone, it's like crabs in the cage. If a crab climbs up to a certain height, what crabs do, well, they'll pull them back down. They're not going to let that crab out of, the, out of the cage. And he said to me, you can throw your hands up and walk away, or you can power through this, and you can do your spiritual practice, and you can move forward. And I said to Laura, you know, this is a pivotal experience here in this, within this community. A lot of changes have taken place, and they're beautiful, beautiful changes. They're very important. It's right and perfect. But I'm, just, I'm sharing this with you because I don't think the journey is slick. I don't think it's easy. That hasn't been my experience. But it is so worth it, and it is so powerful. And, and, I, I, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm so appreciative of all of it. And the things for me that I, that I was attached to, and this is what this parable is talking about, I had a hold of pearls I found the pearl of great price. See, what the story is saying is that when we, we walk along, see, the field is us. The field is you and I. And when we walk on our journey, in Thomas' expansion of the treasure hidden in the field, Jesus said the Father's kingdom is like a person who had a treasure hidden in his field but did not know it. And then when he died, he left it to his son. And the son did not know about it either. He took over the field and sold it. And the buyer went plowing, discovering the treasure, and began to lend money at interest to whomever he wished. It's about all of us, we are the field. And so the father came along. And and in my own life, I look at my own father. The life that that I was uh, domesticated in was just one of struggle and fear and anxiety. And and there was no, you know, I'll tell you, I would have given a million dollars for a pat on the back at some point in time to say attaboy. An attaboy in that, in that environment was like putting a can of gasoline, pouring it on top of a fire to put it out. <clears throat> that, was the, that was the approach. But without that, without that early conditioning, I wouldn't have longed so strongly for the connection. That I, that, uh, Caroline, Caroline Reynolds said it so well. She said, things we didn't get as children become our gifts as we grow. And so part of that legacy allows us, all of us, to look at the, the, uh, our life conditions and to grow beyond that. And, and, and that, I believe, is the wisdom here. So here's the father, and he has this, this, this treasure in the field, which is his consciousness, his, his awareness, and he just dies. He doesn't even plow the field. He doesn't even know where to look. And his legacy is giving to the next generation, his son. And his son doesn't know, so his son sells it. What do you mean there's something precious about me? What do you mean there's something sacred about me? What do you mean I belong and I'm deserving of love? That's not true. And see, part of it too is that when, you, when, you're, when you're taught that as a child, when you're given that, you don't belong and you're not deserving of love. It's like the monkey. Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about the way they trap monkeys? 
the monkey sticks his hand in the coconut to reach the rice. This is how they trap monkeys in Malaysia. They would hollow out a coconut and they'd make it big enough for the monkey's hand to slip in, but not big enough for the monkey's fist to come out. And then they would put rice in there. And the monkey would, pretty soon a monkey would come along and they'd tether the coconut to, to a tree or to the ground and he'd reach in and he'd grab the rice and he got the rice. But what became his, his dry, striving for the rice to hang on to, it became his prison. And so our legacy is that if we're conditioned as a child that you don't, you don't, you're, and, and we hear it in things when we, we start to do this work, it's like, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve. Well, how can you deserve and how can you feel good enough because you're trapped in this coconut that says, you're not good enough and you don't deserve, you don't belong and you're not deserving of love. And so until we let go of that, but that is precious to us because that's the legacy we've been given by our, our parents and our grandparents and the people before them. They were domesticated in a way. Because life, life for that generation was not about thriving. It wasn't about joy and celebration. It was about survival. And so this is, what, this is an example of what is being said here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So as we talk about awaking, we are a vibrant spiritual community, alive and awakened by personal transformation. This is the personal transformation, to let go of whatever it is that's precious to us, that we can't pull our hand out of the coconut that's trapped us, to realize it's okay. Truly the way to honor the generations that have laid the groundwork and the possibility of what we have today and the freedom to make these choices is to loosen our grip on this. So that when we see the pearl, when we discover the pearl in the field, we go, oh my God, I want that. And, and that's not even, that's just part of it because it's not, you may want it, but that part of you that says, no, you can't have that, that's for somebody else because you don't deserve that. Remember what you were told when you were little? And see, the journey is, the challenge is, is to let go of that and say, I am deserving. I do belong. I belong here, just like everybody else. I mean, it's, it's so simple. And without that peace in place, you can take all of this... I believe every time we do a spiritual mind treatment, every time we do an affirmative prayer, because it begins with there's one life, God's life, perfect life, and that life is mine. We start to loosen our grip on the rice inside of the coconut, to use that example, each and every time. And sometimes it has to be done thousands of times. Or not, because then we can be just like the Father. We can go from the cradle to the grave and never wake up and never shift and change anything. We have to give up the identity to change so that we can enter the kingdom, which is a new state of mind. The merchant who seeks the fine pearls comes upon something so true, so valuable, so important. And he knows he could not have the pearl until he changed. Most people, and I speak to this from personal experience, live in another kingdom, which also begins with an H. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And there's a fellow that's in charge of the H that, that is identified as the devil. Do you realize if you spell devil back, it's li- backwards, it's lived? To live backwards? 
See, in order for all of us to be completely who we are, we have to let go of those. Everything must go. Everything must go. And so when I, this parable has always bothered me because I love what we do, but I don't want to have to, I don't want to give everything up. I don't want to work years and years and years and pay off a mortgage and, and finally not have a car payment and all those practical things that we look at in our lives and not have to have a job and pay, pay the bills. But see, part of that too, the beauty of that is to, to have more requires more responsibility. To have more requires more responsibility. To have a home requires that we have to have credit, we have to have a job, we have to be able to pay the taxes, we have to pay, pay the insurance, we have to pay the mortgage, or not if we pay cash. But we look at that metaphor, it's all, it, it, and, and I, I did the mustard seed last week. The mustard seed, it's a great example, and I missed it in the second service, I'm going to repeat it, but if we invest a little, we get a little. Why do we think we invest a little in our spiritual practice and we'll get a lot back? Because as we move spiritually, as we grow spiritually, it requires more of us. So when I was sharing with you at the beginning about all the changes this year, it's a reflection of growing and deepening spiritually. And then more is, requi- more is required. The path gets narrower. And when the path is narrow, it's easier to slip off the sides of it. But it's, it's diligence and it's care. Quimby, Phineas Parkhurst Quimby said this. He is considered the father of new thought metaphysics in North America. He said, and it was wonderful, and he was a tremendous influence on Dr. Ernest Holmes. He said this, We cannot be perfectly well or happy while we are arriving at the truth. Any more than gold can be pure while it is in the ore. Chemical changes must take place to purify both. Gold and truth are mixed with dross and error. Through both have to work their way. Gold and truth are mixed with dross and error. Dross is what burns when you when you find gold in the ground or in the stone, it's it's in with the other minerals called dross, and they take it and they refine it, they heat it up and they burn it so that you have pure gold. And the same is true of truth. So what our dross is, it's what we carry with us in consciousness. But we're not stagnant, it's not static. Consciousness shifts and changes all the time. Last week, I said I would share the seven uh, steps, and I, I wanted to keep my promise. In fact, I left my notes over here last night, and I didn't say this on my computer, so I in my office, because I said, I'm keeping my promise. I said I would share these with you. They were the seven, seven steps that Jimmy E. talked about at our business breakfast about financial. He talked about the seven habits of wealthy people. And when I read them, or heard them, and wrote them down, I said, these are the same seven habits of, of spiritually awake individuals. I want to share these with you. Number one, they track their value. So financially, people know where they are. It's first, the first thing. You've got to know where you are. Where are you financially? If you're burying your head in the sand, you, you probably have a, a less chance of being successful. What I would say about that is, for spiritually, they track, we track our value. And part of it is making peace with it. You know where you belong. And you have value. And that you are worthy of love. And you are worthy of joy. And see, in Breen Brown's work, I brought her book, The Gift of Imperfection, with me, but I, don't, I can't even get close to sharing any of that today. But one of the things she says about that is, if shame, the difference between shame and guilt is really important to understand. Shame, <clears throat> guilt is I did something bad, and we feel guilt, which is good. It's healthy. We're doing something. We're screwing up. We, you know, we should. I mean, it just shows that we're connected. We have empathy with others. We've hurt someone. Or we've done. Shame is, that, shame is the, the idea, the principle that I'm I'm bad. I'm bad. Not because I've done anything wrong. I'm just, that's who I am. I'm bad. 
and, and, and I think it's, it's such an interesting, it's an interesting topic for me because that was most of what I got growing up, was having to unlearn that and, and find a new idea around that, a new foothold with that. And it wasn't anybody's fault. Man, there were 11 kids. There were 11 kids. We never sat down, so let's have a family meeting. Let's talk about how we want to do this. We didn't do any of that. My parents were in survival mode. They were exhausted. You know, the, the, the faith denomination we were in said, have as many kids as you have. That's the important thing. Let's keep populating the planet. You know, uh, uh, David Bruner said something beautiful. He came from, he's a minister in San Jose, California, and I love him. He's, just a, he's a, just a wonderful minister. And he and I had the same experience. He, had, he has seven sisters. I have seven sisters and three brothers, and he had the same 11 children. And he said, you know, the thing about it, he said, I don't know how my parents did it. We all had shoes. We'd all get a pair of shoes when we go back to school. We'd get new jeans a couple times a year. We'd get a shirt, a couple shirts. And, you know, once in a while, I'd have to wear one of my older sister's blouses to school and <laughs> fight my way through recess. <clears throat> well, because it was so, so nice looking on me, everybody wanted to try it on, of course. <clears throat> but he said, you know what? That was my parents' dream. And I thought, yeah. Because for me, I was like, why? why? This is just so hard. You know, you got a big group. There's never enough. But there is enough. There is enough. But when you're in that longing, it doesn't feel like there's enough. And that longing is a good thing. It keeps us in the game. It keeps us engaged. I've looked at my brothers and sisters, and I love them all. But some of them are like the father that, that the treasure was in the field, and they're going to die with that treasure still in the field, in my opinion. And that's none of my business. I long to share. You know, you, you get into this teaching and you start changing your life and you want to share it with everybody. And do, have you found out everybody doesn't want it? Some people think you're absolutely crazy. What is wrong with you? Stop it. Let's talk about something else. So they track their value, number one. Number two, they understand. I'm giving you this list of seven. I know I'm breaking it up a bit. They understand the difference between value-added and value-depreciating activities. Now, value added, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about this. Rich people buy, and they buy things that appreciate. <clears throat> and, and so what I'm saying is, what can we pour into our, our spiritual practice that allows us to appreciate? They understand the difference between the thought, the quality of the thought. Breen Brown says that if, if you're dealing with shame, there's a way out of it, and it's through compassion, um, connection, courage, compassion, and connection. Three C's, and I'll talk about it next month. I don't have time today, but it's beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Courage, compassion, and connection. So if you find it, and, there's a, and it's a practice. You practice courage, you do courageous, courageous things. Courageous things means to tell the truth from your whole being. It takes courage to do that. Number three, they understand why they spend, where they spend their energy. Financially, you understand where you're spending your money. <clears throat> I interpret this as what we dwell upon, we become. If the message we got as children in our hand is still in the coconut that I don't belong and I'm not good enough and I don't deserve because that's what my parents told me. 
Not only did they tell me that, they modeled that for me. Because they felt the same way, because we can't give our children anything we don't have. So this is about us, absolutely. The reason that I got so committed to doing this work was because I was having children. And I said, I don't have this, the parenting skills I think is, is appropriate for me to, to, to give something to my children that has value. I don't want to give them my legacy. They were the inspiration for me to stop that and break that pattern. Number four, the seven habits of wealthy people, they watch their debt. In spiritual practice, I want to pay my debt down. How do we pay our debt down? We pay our debt down through forgiveness. Forgiveness. Realizing that I'm not going to live my life anymore from my memories. That I'm not going to live my life anymore from the early conditioning I got from the people that that loved me the best they could. I'm going to tell you something, man. I know something about my parents. I know something about your parents. They gave us the best they had. They gave us the best they had. I love them. My dad scared the crap out of me. I mean, I never knew when he would come in and just punch me. also understand it's this guy this guy worked 80 100 hours every week he was exhausted he was exhausted he had had a great heart he wanted the best for his kids and he gets scared and i know that because i've been tired and i've been scared and i've said things to people or i've done things that that um, that i feel guilt about but not shame and you deal with that, and you deal with it in the moment, and you clean it up. To watch our debt, our spiritual debt. Number five, pay ourselves first. If we're not filled up, if we're not prayed up, if we're not showing up healthy and alive and, and powerful in, in, in co-creation with spirit, not from an egoic sense that we're dominating everyone, but from a place of understanding and compassion for ourselves and one another, what good are we? Number six, surround ourselves with the right people. I shared that with you last week. Around the right people. You look around this room, you're in a room of people that care deeply, that are cultural creatives, that want the world to be a better place, want our lives to improve, want to pass down to our children and the next generations the possibilities and the potential. We're giving birth to this consciousness each and every day. And if we don't support this, if we're not in on this, if we're not in 100% with this, this tradition and this teaching, and we need to ask ourselves why. Because I'm going to tell you something. I don't know any other place that I can be and pour my energy into it that I believe can make a significant difference. Not just for this generation. Not just for my life. For our teens. For these little kids that come up here. And the blessing in my life is I've been given the freedom and the reading and the ability to read. To look at things and say this works. This doesn't work. This doesn't represent me. I don't have to burn that down. I can honor it and bless it. Every tradition on this planet has value. That's why we'll honor it. Every tradition. Because people, are, people step into their spiritual 
on their spiritual path at the level of consciousness they are. That's just the truth. But the, the important thing for everyone in those tr- traditions is to continue to dig deep. Dig deep. Because the truth is there. These parables come from the Christian tradition. It's there, but the willingness to dig deep and to find the insight and to make sure that, that, that the Christ that's wanting to be born in, in us is being born, being supported in the possibility of everyone. Surround yourself with the right people. Number seven, you must care enough and continue to care. Financially, spiritually, emotionally. You must care enough. You know, when, when, and Breen Brown said this, she, talks, she tells a story in her, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, and she said, you know, she had an experience and it was awful. She went to do a talk and it was, there's a lot of details to it, but what she did immediately when she got home is she called someone that would listen with compassion, courage, and connection. Compassion, courage, and connection. So it's important we're not to isolate ourselves when these things come up for us. We need to have somebody in your life that you can tell the truth to with your whole heart, with your whole being. And that's something that's going to fix this whole list. I'll read them to you. I'll read them to you next week because it's wonderful stuff. I'm going to continue. There's a list of six. So if you come back next week, I'll read the list of six to you. <clears throat> You'll be coming back for one or two more weeks before you got all this figured out and don't need to show up anymore. I mean, that's the goal. I love you all. I hope you come every week. But you know what? If you get what you need and you will go out and make a difference in your life and in the world, I've done my job. I've done my job. People come for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. We're not here to hoard. We're here to share and spread the word. And it's good news. But I want to have the real conversations with you because you do belong. And you are deserving of love. And if your hand's in that coconut right now, Maybe you can't let the whole fist go, but let one finger come off the the, the rice this week. And maybe two. And maybe before you know it, the whole hand will slip right out because the pearl that is in that field is more attractive and more beautiful. That's what I want to do. That's where I want to go. I'll see you there. And so it is.